0: Verifiably You, Episode 1, The 50,000-Foot View, by me, Andy Woodruff. In March of 2020, I received a bill in the mail from Verizon Wireless for two iPhone Pro Maxes. At the same time, I also received mail that the security on my AT&T account had been lowered from extra secure to standard security. The problem is, I didn't go out and buy two new iPhones, nor did I have an AT&T account to begin with. I frantically worked to get into contact with both companies to understand what was going on and explain that this is some kind of mistake. I got into contact with Verizon Wireless first and was terrified to find out that the new account and phone purchase happened just on the other side of town for me, and that proper identification was shown. This means that somebody went into a Verizon store and bought two new phones within 30 minutes of where I lived and showed a valid driver's license and social security number. Not just any valid driver's license and social security number, but my driver's license and my social security number. This was not just some random credit card fraud. This was full-blown identity theft. AT&T, on the other hand, had decided that they had enough evidence to determine that the one iPhone bought in my name was a fraudulent purchase and marked it as such. At this point, facing a multi-thousand dollar bill, I called the police to file a police report. Just two days later, I received a third bill from a local jewelry store for over $7,000. At this point, I had to go into damage control and logged on to Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian to freeze my credit and flag it that I had had some identity theft. I also had to file a report with the FTC. After a couple months, the situation with the jewelry store got cleaned up and my name was cleared, but Verizon sent my account to collections. This had two effects. Firstly, I received a mark on my credit history, and secondly, I began being harassed by creditors trying to get money from me. The mark on my credit history meant that my score lowered enough that I needed to drop my name from the mortgage in order to get better financing rates. Dealing with creditors was a huge time sink as they intentionally make it much harder for you to get your claim dismissed than they do for you to pay them the money. After two rounds of creditors harassing me over a full year, I was able to get this incident completely erased from my record. Self-sovereign identity could have prevented all of this. Due to the strong connotation meaning given to self-sovereign identity, Let's first take a look at the words individually and then as a whole. While self is first, it's probably the easiest to understand. It centers the conversation around the individual rather than a central authority figure. Next, we have sovereign. Sovereign refers to one that has supreme authority within a limited sphere or one that enjoys autonomy. So we are looking at a system that is looking to distribute the autonomy to the individual. And finally, we have identity. No, not the 2003 thriller mystery film, but what makes up a person, place, or thing. When you think of your grandmother, you are likely thinking of things that make up her identity. When you think of New York City or the Yankees, you are thinking of things that make up their identity. Identity has two categories, immutable and mutable. Immutable are things that cannot be changed, like your birthday and ethnicity. In the case of New York City, this would be things like the geographical location and the year it was founded. Our mutable identity are things that we can change, like our hair color or our social media username. For New York City, this would include things like the current population of the city or who the mayor is. When we combine all three words, we get the identity of someone that they themselves are in complete control of a system that gives the users control, a system that gives the users access and a system that gives users portability. After hearing all that, you're probably like, cool, but why should I care? I mean, really, why should I care? That's a great question. I think that until an issue impacts you or a loved one, it can be hard to grasp how devastating losing your identity can be. Let me give you a couple examples of people losing their identity, and then I'll provide an alternative reason that I think might be enticing to more people. Imagine the life of a refugee, someone who, to no fault of their own, has been forced to flee their home with only the items they can carry in a single backpack. What would you put in your pack? Neither you nor I are going to grab our high school diploma or our college diploma. We are not going to bring along proof of ownership of our car or our house. We are only going to bring along things that can help us stay alive and maybe a family memento if we have room. But once we get to a new country, it can be hard to prove that you are a refugee, let alone prove that you have the skills to get a job in that new country. SSI allows you to carry your identity with you, stored in your phone or laptop. Like the opening story, identity theft and fraud are a serious issue. According to the FTC, 2.2 million identity fraud reports were made in 2020 alone. Of those reports, 1 million were for children. While 2.2 million reports are actually filed each year, It's estimated that nearly 15 million identity thefts occur in the U.S. This means that nearly one in three Americans have been a victim of identity theft. Another area that SSI can improve is time. I think just about every one of us would like to gain time back in our day. Verifying the identity of someone who calls into a bank or other financial service takes up a significant portion of time when you are on the phone. With SSI, you could establish a secure line of communication with them, allowing technology to automatically verify you, saving you not only the time while you're talking on the phone to that representative, but also while you are waiting to talk to the person in the first place. While there are many different scenarios that I could think of, one final one that I will mention is an emergency situation individuals who have known medical conditions or allergies often wear a bracelet or necklace identifying as such but imagine a system where you are unconscious for whatever reason and a medical professional could get instant access to your basic information like your name and age as well as any other medical conditions or allergies to medicines that you may have this kind of technology could save your life now that we have an understanding of what self-sovereign identity is and why it could be beneficial to us. I want to answer the following questions. What people and businesses are involved today? When will SSI be ready for you to use? And do I need to do anything to be ready? I think most people would be surprised to hear that there is already a large amount of work going on behind the scenes to set up standards and guidelines for this new technology. On the other hand, most people would not be surprised to hear who is involved. The same entity that handles standards for all of the Internet, the World Wide Web Consortium, or W3C, is also championing many of the standards for SSI. W3C is a members based organization made up of large companies like Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Mozilla, as well as other smaller companies like the New York Times and NCR. Individuals are also welcome to join. But don't get the same voting rights as bigger companies. There are also businesses that are involved that you may not have heard of, like Yubico, maker of small physical multi-factor authentication devices, Sonar, and Trinsic. When will SSI be ready for me to use? Any concern that your driver's license or passport are going to become a digital-only document in the near future is not real. While California is looking into a digital trust framework, it is just that, a low-level government framework. A good example of the rollout of new technology is the Real ID system. Ignoring any issues or controversies the system had, the Real ID Act was passed by Congress back in 2005 and scheduled to go live in 2012. After many delays, the final phase of the system requires any U.S. citizen to have a real ID by 2025 in order to fly domestically. That's 20 years after the act was passed by Congress. I think this 20-year timetable is a valid benchmark for something like the scale of national IDs. Smaller solutions will likely roll out sooner, though. Applications are being developed today but they do focus on those smaller or more playful opportunities with less serious consequences. What will I need to be ready? To store and use a digital ID or credential, also called a decentralized identifier, DID, and verifiable credential, VC, you will need a digital wallet. However, if this is your first exposure to SSI, I don't think you need to go out and download an app today. SSI is not a digital currency like Bitcoin or Cardano, and it is not a stock to be traded on the market. There is no direct financial gain to being a first mover. Adopting this technology when the time is right will increase your digital portability, your digital efficiency, and your digital security. Remember that while self-sovereign identity may sound like some kind of extreme anarchy thing, it is far from it. SSI looks to increase your control and security over the things that make you, you. From your hair color to your birthday, from your social media name to your social security number, your identity is worth protecting. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to get more content every week.